gentlemen, welcome back to another edition of the Music Business Mentorship. I'm your host, John Scheel, and with me today is my very good friend, Kimera Morell, the music industry's number one sought-after singer for hire on soundbetter.com. With over a thousand private clients, her voice has been streamed over 30 million times on Spotify alone. And after launching 23 successful music revenue streams, she launched the Singer's Success Path, a program where she works side-by-side with vocalists to launch their remote, independent singing businesses. Her message is all about self-sufficiency and achieving freedom with your time, which is why her launch strategies focus solely on revenue streams that don't require performing live. Her free resources, monthly mastermind, and workshops can be found at singerssuccesspath.com. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, my good friend, Kimera Morell. So tell me, this is sort of how we start all of these episodes. Tell me how you got started in music. Well, uh, probably just by listening to my mom singing at the piano and my father played French horn. So I was definitely something I just always felt was just the most fun was making music and singing. Singing. So it, it was ingrained in me pretty, pretty young. Um, but as a professional, I think it really the wheels started turning in high school, you know, when they when they tell you to start thinking about what you're going to major in college in. And I was like, uh, something music, but like, what's a practical music career look like? So I, I, I was always a practical thinker. And I thought, you know, okay, I don't know how to do this. If I want to go be a big famous singer like Christina Aguilera, that looks really hard. That looks not super practical. But then I discovered that you could be a recording engineer as a major in college. And I was like, okay, that sounds a little more practical. So I started that way. I, I actually came in as a recording engineer and of course needed something to record. So I recorded my own song. So I started writing and recording. So it just kind of just one thing after the other. Okay, well, I need to do this now. Now, how do I do this? And and little by little, you know, it, it just kind of started unraveling. I think the, the big gateway for me was MySpace. Uh, so once I started recording songs, I was like, oh, I want to post these online. And so you could post a, a song or two to your MySpace page and that's what I did. And that's what opened the door really um, to showcase what I could do. And, and that's how I ended up meeting my first manager was through social media of the time. Wow. Yeah. Now, that's kind of the story. Did you, uh, were you live in live performance as well? Did you, did you do a lot of gigging and what did your manager help you with in that phase of your career? Well, it was all, you know, this was, there's always an internal battle because it's, it just seemed like I had to do it, but I think deep down, I didn't like it. I never really wanted to. I just wanted to make music and that to be a part of my life and career, but I hated performing live, but I did do it. I did uh, go after that. Um, I was very resistant in the beginning and my first managers wanted wanted to focus on me as the artist. You know, I had a cool look. I had a cool sound. They really thought I was like the next Katy Perry, but I didn't really want to be. And uh, so to kind of sway me and get me at least like heading that direction, 
we focused on publishing and we focused on songwriting um, because that's what I was more passionate about. So I actually got a publishing deal through Sony ATV and uh, that was the gateway. And they started, you know, kind of trying to convince me that the record deal was the next big thing, but we never went there and never, it never fully transpired. We, we ended up parting ways before that could happen, which I'm very happy about because it never really was what I wanted to do, you know, I think but I had moved to LA at one point and I got to perform at house of blues and I tried it. I really did try, but I, but I hated every bit of it. I love that that's your perspective on it, because I think there's a lot of folks who may be listening to this who may be thinking, I really love music. I love songwriting, but I'm not like performance does not thrill me. And mm-hmm. I I want to be make sure that we, we have a real inclusive community here and people understand that there is a pathway for success in this business for everyone. And I I love that your pathway is slightly different because I think if people were just to see you and hear your voice, they would assume automatically you are the artist persona when really you are the writer, the engineer, the coach, the vocal coach. I mean, you do so many things uh, and it's really impressive how you've built your career without that component that at first glance, everyone would say, oh, she's of course the artist. Um, So Totally. Like, I mean, I, I, I dressed up for your podcast, so I would look cute on camera, but I really just want to live in my, my PJs and this is my vocal booth. I I just go and hide in my four by six LA vocal booth and just, you know, it's, that's the life I want. I want to just be a beach bum and no one knows who I am. Like I actually, you know, I was a waitress for a lot of most of my, my life. And, uh, Kelly Clarkson came into the restaurant one time and it was just such a big deal. It was such a big buzz and people going up to her and, you know, trying to get autographs. And I was like, I don't want that. I want to just go eat pizza in public and peace. And so, you know, it's just so. So what you're saying about, you know, follow the the path that's your own. Really, really ask yourself what your what your happiness is and you can, you can have everything you want. You can have, you know, music and your life and, and the stage, if that's your happy place or not, there are ways to be in music. I figured them out. Um, so, so I don't need the stage. So that, that's just my own happiness, even though, you know, I totally root for everyone who wants to be on stage. I'll come to your show and I'll scream really loud for you, but it's not my path. That's, you know, we all have our own, you know, our own way to get there and our own happiness. So go after what you want, you know? So I think that's really fascinating. First of all, uh, I love uh, that you, you took the time to dress up for our podcast. I really appreciate that. But uh, there's, this is one of those things where I have a face for radio. So I'm probably better behind the microphone and behind the scenes. Are you kidding? You have a vibe. You've got, Um, you've got it. Thank you. I I identify that with with everything you said there, though, so much because I grew up really enjoying live music, uh, but in a very radically non-commercial kind of sense. So I I followed the Grateful Dead when I was real young. I followed Fish. And and those are the kind of guys that like they yes, they can sell out twenty five thousand seat places night after night, but they could also walk through a town and 
maybe very few people would even know who they are and they can mm -hmm. just walk down the street and, and yeah, their fans know, but they consider their fans more like their, their friends, like they're, they're in it yeah. together. They're they're They hang out together. And so if they're not in their fan world, they're like cult following, if you will, um, then they're, they're just average people just walking down the street without the problems that fame can bring. And I think that's one thing you've managed to significantly avoid are those types of problems that come from fame. Mm -hmm. But in doing so, you still have problems. You still have things that you need to overcome. And I want to make sure that everybody understands that part of the music business mentorship is dealing with self-care and the overwhelming anxiety of trying to be everywhere, do everything all at once. And I know that you're a content creator. I know you do a lot of promotion of all of the various skills and talents that you have. How do you deal with the overwhelming anxiety of, oh my gosh, I have to produce more content? Does yeah. that, what are those challenges like for you? Well, I do this, I do this thing I call, I call inventory meeting and I take inventory and I, I, I have like a meeting with myself and and we really need to ask ourselves, like, what is within my bandwidth? And because I, you know, I tried everything and I did burn out. I did have like a really tough time building my business in the beginning because I wanted so desperately for it to work that I tried everything that I tell people I have. I have personally 23 different music revenue streams, which is psychotic. Don't do it. Like pick your pick your favorites and just do like three to start. But like I I had to learn the hard way how to manage um, all the things and just deciding you know what to take off my plate. And so for example, social media is a great example of this. I I do feel that it's important to my business uh, to show up on social media a lot. And the way social media works is you got to post a lot of content, but I have decided to sacrifice certain things that I know could probably help my channels perform better. But for me to be able to manage everything that I manage, I've sacrificed certain things like, you know what, I'm just not going to go through posting a video and putting stickers and text overlay and all those things. I'm just going to post the video. Like, I'm just going to put it out there. You know, like I'm going to simplify. I'm going to dial things back. I spend two, two days on it. One day per month, I will shoot a bunch of content. I will film a bunch of stuff. I write down all my stuff I'm going to do. And then the next day I edit it and I schedule it. And then for the rest of the month, I don't, don't even look at social media. You know, I scroll for fun, but, and I'll comment back, but I've, I've decided how to manage it in a way that, you know, I don't have to work too hard on it. So if that means sacrificing certain things, then we do that. You know, if I want to launch a certain, if I want to launch a new revenue stream and I realize the amount of work it's going to take, I might just ultimately say, okay, it's not the time. I'm not going to do that right now. Maybe we'll focus on that six months from now, but I'll, I'll make the decision what just, what is not going to happen right now and just be okay with that. I think I that's, that's 
I think that's fascinating. I think it's really important to learn to do that. I think you've honed a skill there in saying no to certain things that are not within your plan right mm -hmm. now. And it's not necessarily a no forever, but it's a no for right now or not right mm -hmm. now. And with, I, with, yeah. And with that, sadly, like sometimes it means saying no to a project that sounds super cool, but it's on spec. And right now I have a laundry list of people who are willing to pay me for my work. So I'm going to do those. Sorry. Right now. Yeah. I wonder, I, mean? I wonder if you've ever had a situation. I know this happens in the law. Believe me, this happens in mm -hmm. the law where you get a particularly, I would say, not so fun project. That's the politest way I can say it. And, uh, and suddenly your rate goes way up for that project. <laughs> Does that oh, ever happen? Yes. It's called the annoyance fee. If you're annoying, uh, I will tack on, you know, 500 bucks. And if for some reason you're down to pay that, the project doesn't seem as annoying anymore suddenly. So <laughs> right. I'm like, okay. You know, but I, I like, yeah, you're trying to like price yourself out and and, you know, hopefully they just don't even hire you. But if they happen to, you're like, oh, I got a bonus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's you know that is amazing. I have worked with um, I've worked with a, a public speaker here in the tri-state area. His son is very, very famous in the movie world. And he was a TV newscaster for for quite a while. I'll, I'll leave his name out of it. But if you. Google stars from the Northern Kentucky area whose sons happen to be mega, mega movie stars, um, then you'll probably know who I'm talking about. But his his annoyance fee, like to, to go out and speak and certain events uh, can be quite high these days. If he's not mm -hmm. presenting an award to his son or or speaking at a cause he really feels passionate about, uh, the, the cost is prohibitive right now mm -hmm. for him. So I, I learned from watching his example that yeah, maybe if there's a project, if they're really willing to pay me this premium yeah. fee, then then I'll do it. But otherwise, uh, yeah. that one is. But it just... wasn't always that way, you know. When I was starting out, um, and I I wasn't getting gigs as often as I do now. It was a building process to get where I am. So in the beginning, I was accepting every single job, and that's and that's okay. And you know, some of them were a grind, but they are what helped me build my business. So sometimes we just have to grit and bear it just to get us off the ground. And that's totally fine. You know, it'll be a little stressful at times, but the cool thing about, you know, at least like demo singing, gigging is you work with, you work with people on one song at a time. And if that song was annoying enough, just finish it, get through it. And you don't have to work with that person ever again. It's fine. So it's something that you build towards. And, and I'm really grateful to be in a place where I can start to say no to certain projects. So, yeah, <laughs> but it's not, it wasn't always that way. Let me ask you if, if there are things that you've learned by taking projects you wish you hadn't, I, I know the, in my world, there's this adage that you learn more from your mistakes and your failures than your successes. And I'm wondering if you have any stories like that, where you took on a project, you weren't so keen on it. Maybe there were some problems along the way that you really learned some lessons from and what those lessons were. What, what do you think about that? Do you have any of those? Mm. Well, you just never know how it's going to go until you start the project, but your gut is usually right in the beginning when you, when you're like, 
having the initial negotiation about to get started on a project, you can kind of tell like, this person seems a little tough to work with. Like there's, we're probably going to run into some issues. Well, if you feel that in your gut and you still want to take the job because you know, you want that paycheck, just try at least in the beginning to start like clarifying your terms just to make sure like if, even if it's just a, okay, excited to work on this project with you. And just so you know, by the way, keep in mind, you know, my revision policy is, you know, if we need, if we need a handful of quick fixes, that's on the house. But just so you know, I, I don't do rewrites. I don't do whatever. Um, that's all going to be extra just to prepare you. And usually that'll save you, uh, a big headache later, just clarifying up front and hopefully it can go well. Um, but yeah, I, I guess sometimes you, you kind of just know in your gut that, that it could be a challenging project, but depending on, you know, market price, are you slow right now? So you really do want to take on the gig. If you do just be prepared that it might be a challenge and get through it, get to the end of the project and then don't work with that person again if you really couldn't handle it. So uh, it's it kind of gives me peace of mind knowing I can walk away. And, and really, really worst case, you can always get out. You're never trapped in a project. You can always offer someone their money back and say, hey, I'm sorry, but this is just not, this is not feel like a fit. And that's okay too. I it's think very rare, you know? I think those are some really valuable lessons. If I if I were restating what you're saying, I think it's have a system and a process so that you can be clear up front with what your terms are. And that goes mm -hmm. to what we can talk about next, which are contracts. But then understanding that if it's just really not a fit, having an exit strategy that if you give them their money back and you're polite and kind about it and you're no harm, no foul, you can move on with the project. But I do want to ask about contracts because this all comes down to how you how you build a system and a process and how you have agreements with the folks that you work with. So how often do you use contracts in your in your business? Less than you're gonna be happy with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it depends on the type of project for sure. Uh, sync licensing almost always has a contract, um, but I tend to have more of a handshake when it comes to like co-writing and splits. Um, however, so with, let me talk about demo singing, like demo singing and custom songwriting where people are hiring me. It's not for pitching. It's not for um, on spec. Like you do the project and then if they accept it, they'll pay you. Um, if they're actually hiring you to do it, uh, I don't always use contracts, but I kind of have a little um, blurb on my website or place that you're hiring me, like by hiring me, you agree to my terms, which are blah, blah, blah. And my terms are listed online so you can see them. What I do with demo singing is it's, to me, it's a hustle. And this is not legal advice. This is actually really terrible advice, but it works for me. So don't do this, but I do this. <laughs> I don't, I try not to even bring up any terms in, in our dealings. I just hope that they read them. And in the rare event that 
something comes up in the end, which sometimes it does. Um, when, you know, on my, on my site, it says, if I write a song with you, I retain 50% of the royalties unless we negotiate otherwise. And if we didn't, you know, at the end, sometimes people have this idea that since they paid me a session fee, they're like buying out all of my rights and like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> you're, you're paying me. What you're paying me for is to take on a project I otherwise wouldn't have wanted to be part of for free. Right. So you're paying for me to take on your project. If I write it, I still have the right to keep my royalties for my intellectual property. Right. So sometimes in the end, people will say something about royalties and I'm like, well, we didn't negotiate something other than my 50%. So here's my BMI information. I'd like my 50%. And then, you know, it's usually a quick, just, hey, you can refer back to my website. You see, I have it listed there. And then they usually are like, okay. So <laughs> Maybe I, I love this. Not, but... <laughs> I, I really love this because you're setting me up. This is like a T-ball thing. You, you've just- I put feel like I'm in trouble. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. No, uh, I, I want to say you're you're actually using what's called a contract of adhesion. And mm. for those folks who may be familiar with software licenses, if you open the package, then you agree to the terms. Or if you, you know, sometimes you'll see the click here to agree. Everybody's used an iPhone and there's an agreement to using the iPhone that if you want to use it, you've got to agree. So a contract of adhesion is one where if you go forward and then and they're stated terms, then you're adhering to that. It sort of sticks to you where the adherence comes from, the adhesion. But the other thing is, is there's there are rules around intellectual property when it comes to songs and copyright. And that's what the music business mentorship is really all about, is how to earn a living from your creativity and how to understand and navigate those rules. So you're just giving me the perfect segue here to say that if you don't agree for a work for hire, then there is a joint authorship work that is created. And so you're entirely right. And, and I want to reaffirm everything you're doing. Of course, as a lawyer, I encourage you to write it down and make sure it's signed so that you've got it in writing. It's a little easier to enforce, but I think you're doing the right thing and you have contract terms. People are obviously hiring you. And when you have a disagreement, uh, you've said, well, you you already agreed to my terms because they were stated up front and that then we went ahead and did the project. Yeah. And that's that's a there's a performance agreement, not in the sense of, uh, performance, live performance or musical performance, but in the sense of I performed my part of the agreement and you performed your part of the, the promise or agreement. Yeah. And we're, we're now in this process where we've partially performed. And so then there are terms like estoppel where you're, or promissory estoppel, you've promised something or promised to not do something or to do something. And now the other party is bound to their agreement because you've partially performed and they've partially performed and you're, you're in the mm -hmm. deal. So that's really great. I want to know, though, have you ever had to overcome these objections with hiring a lawyer or tell me some times where things have gone south and maybe a lesson you've learned from that? Because that that's where the rubber meets the road. And I know you have had a situation like that, but admirably, you solved it yourself, right? Are you referring to my publishing deal? Didn't you have a publishing deal that you negotiated yourself out of? I did. Yes. Um, well, 
yeah. And technically per this contract, I did uh, uphold my, the best I could of my end. I was in a publishing agreement with Sony and uh, it was, the term was, you know, well, the way major publishing deals work, or at least worked at the time, which was 2012 for me. Um, no, 2012 is when I got out. 2009, 2010. Um, my term was that it's like the term is like the whole agreement, the whole span of all the time that we'll be together. But within the term, there are periods which are like shorter increments of the term and like certain things have to happen within these periods. So my initial period of time um, was expiring. And so it, it was only to be four years long. And I'm so lucky I ended up with that kind of a term. My term was written in that way because I know a lot of people who their term is written on a performance basis where their initial term isn't over until they've placed like four songs on major artists released on a major album. So I know a lot of people who are stuck for quite some time in these deals because they're based on performance. Um, gosh, that's a whole other issue. I don't even want to talk about it, but, um, but that's, I, that's a great point and something to look out for. So this is really truly very informative for our listeners. So thank you yeah, for mentioning. I, a very good friend of mine was in a publishing agreement that was based on, you know, a performance of he needed to have like four. Uh -huh, okay. it's And this is where it gets even worse is it's a hundred percent of four songs. So that doesn't mean four songs. That means a hundred percent of a song. If you if it's just you and a producer and you own 50%, so that's half a song, you know? And these days, when you release a song on a major artist, do you look at some of these credits? It's like, there's like 20 writers and who, who right. are all these people and who's getting what percentage? So to get four songs, 100% of four songs is like a lot of songs. The worst part of it was when his contract was written, the definition of a, of a song, of a placement was a song released by a major artist on a major record label album. And this is when EPs started emerging and people or people would just release a single. Since it wasn't on a major album, it was on an EP. It didn't count. So the <laughs> person was like really screwed. But for me, I got lucky. Uh, I signed through the UK office and it was it was pretty fair. Um they had the option to pick up a new period for me. And, um, but they also under my, how, how I got out of it was uh, creative, creatively just like having a conversation with the publishing company saying, look, under my advanced section of my agreement, when we pick up a new option period, uh, you have to pay me a large amount of money. And I'd rather you don't. I'd rather we just go our separate ways. It didn't work out because I really wanted to go into sync licensing. And when you're in a major publishing deal, sync agencies can't really work with you because they rely on making some money off of your publishing and all your publishing is owned by Sony or Universal or Warner. So they just 
won't work with you. So I like was kind of stuck with only working with Sony um, or being independent. And I just couldn't figure that out. So I was able to talk it out and they did let me out of my deal. And that was just the biggest blessing and uh turning point in my career for sure. I'm, I really want to applaud you for that. And I know we talked a little bit before we started this and I, I say this to a lot of people frequently litigation is just the most expensive form of negotiation and what you were able to do by talking to them was mediate your own agreement to to separate ways and by doing that you saved yourself a ton of money in legal fees and fighting in a litigation type of situation really you just did it creatively and and i applaud your your prowess there in getting that done because it as you said it's a turning point in your career and it freed you from what really was a probably an onerous requirement, right? Yeah, it, you know, it prevented me from making money elsewhere. Yeah. So it was tough. Um, but yeah, it was a creative conversation. It was really scary. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go in there and act like I know what I'm talking about. And I actually did. But I didn't try having lawyers help me. I, I actually had a couple lawyers look at it, but I, I don't know, they didn't do enough due diligence. And I, I think reading my contract a hundred times, I, I was just looking for an answer. And eventually I found one. I was like, wait a minute, they have to pay me money if I stay. <laughs> I love that. I love that on so many levels. Uh, I don't love that lawyers weren't as helpful as you needed them to be, but uh, speaking as a lawyer, I, love it when my clients do their due diligence. And the more you can help me help you, the more successful we'll be together. So I applaud you reading your contract. So many artists don't, and yeah. then they're sort of stuck. And as you see, uh, some lawyers don't necessarily read it as thoroughly as you did. And it means more that your name is on it. So you read it, you did it, you did the right thing. And you were to, able to transition into other sources of income. And I want to ask you about those because I know you've got 23 different sources of income. How how do you make most of your living these days? And what's what's it like to be a coach, producer, podcaster, everything? I like to have a lot of fun. I like my life to be exciting. And I think it's really fun to have multiple streams of, of income from music, all music related, but like sometimes I actually get bored just singing, singing other people's songs all the time. That's one of my biggest streams of income is getting hired to write songs for someone or to just record a song that someone else wrote. Um, and that's all super fun. And I'm glad that that's like, that's like the day job. Um, kind of for me. Uh, but I get bored sometimes and I want to do other things. And so I get excited when I get to help other singers launch their businesses and find their own income streams. Um, sometimes I, oh, and I love, you know, uh, one of my other really fun revenue streams is recording uh, cover songs and licensing the acapellas of them. Oh, wow. So I get to just sing, you know, songs I love and, and even write songs that I feel like writing. And then I go and I license them out to like, mostly like electronic 
uh, producers, DJs, things like that. I enjoy, you know, I enjoy doing that. And so it's, it's fun to have so many different things, you know, different, uh, what do they call Fire, uh, spokes in the fire? <laughs> yeah. You've got a lot of different outlets and you, you do certainly have a lot of irons in the fire. Um, That's it. <laughs> yeah. Now when you're coaching folks, uh, or helping other folks get their music out, um, I, we talk in this program about Ikigai, which is which is really finding your reason for being and, and what you love to do, what you're good at, what the world needs and what you can be paid for. And it sounds like all of that is is coming to fruition in the purpose of helping others with their creativity, but also then earning a living from your own creative output. And I, I want to know more about your singer success path, because it seems like coaching people to be better singers and creating on their own is also part of your path to, to help bring music to the world. So tell us about singer success path and, and your live monthly calls and meeting up with folks and what's the biggest <laughs> challenge that they, that, that they face and that you're helping with. <laughs> well, the biggest challenge I think that my people are facing is, is executing and taking action. And I know that you, you like to talk about like, have a business plan. I, I say have an action plan. And, and so the steps to take uh, towards your like singer success path, your path is different from mine. Your path is different from his because we have different interests. We have different superpowers, you know, and we have different financial needs right now. So you got to look at all these different things. And something we talk about a lot is like, okay, like, do you need, do you need a lot of money right now? Cause if so, let's go after some of the revenue streams like demo singing that pay higher and they pay right now. But the problems with those are that they pay once you record that song once and that's it. If you have more time, um, you know, if you if you can wait a little longer for the big payoff, like let's focus on some residual income because that's going to be a little money now. But that one song that you record could pay you a lot more over time than the demo gig. Like so there's all kinds of different things um, people are facing. And I, I but I think the the most fun thing to tackle is to figure out what you have the most fun doing. And what really like lights you up? Like I, a lot of people think it's so exciting to see their song or hear their song on a TV show. So we'll go that way. Or some people are just, just love working with students and their vocal coaches. So we'll talk about how to launch your vocal coach business. And, you know, what does that look like? Do you want to do one-on-ones? Do you want to do group? Do you want to do pre-recorded video class courses? Things like that. So there's just so many different ways to go but we have to find out which works for each person and for the most part there's a framework that kind of works for all, all things and like you probably have one your business plan that you help people build probably looks really similar across the board whether you're you know whether you're doing sync licensing or acapella licensing or demo singing but we just we just have to shape your skills into your personal business plan, right? Yeah, I love that. That's that's a great 
summary of, of a lot of what we do here at the Music Business Mentorship and everyone kind of approaches the music business a little differently, your path is is definitely different than say a wedding singer or a you know cover band artist or a person who's trying to create a, an album or an artist path, but doing the cover band thing on the side, you have much more of a, the coach, the uh, singer and the producer elements Whereas someone else might say, well, I know that I can sell my services for a wedding and make three to $4,000 on that event, um, even with all the costs involved in, in it. And so it's sort of like quick cash versus residual cash. But understanding that every plan is a little different, but it's going to have costs and knowing what they are and knowing what, what trade-offs you have to make in order to fit your skills and talents into your plan and find yeah. what you love to do and how you can make it all work. I, I love that. I think you're doing a great job with that. It seems like seems like you're you're a very insightful uh, coach as well. Do you have ongoing coaching with the Singer Success Path? Yeah. So, um, well, I I think at the time of filming this, uh, not quite ready, but I am putting together a program, a launch program where we are going to work work together to launch people's businesses. Um, but for the time being, um, I really have been focused on teaching singers how to record themselves in Pro Tools and how to you know, get their songs sounding really radio ready with vocal production. So that's what I've been really focused on in 2023. But 2024, very excited to la launch people's music businesses alongside them. Um, but in the meantime, I, you know, I do have uh, a monthly free call. It's called SSP Live, which you can join um, by going to singersuccesspath.com and just signing up. That's also where people can grab my my free uh, list of 35 music revenue streams for singers without having to perform live. Wow. And I don't want I don't knock people who love performing live. It's just not my thing. So I don't teach that, but I know a lot of people who do. So I also am happy to send people in the right directions for that. Um, I do have an ebook. I have a workbook called the quick start guide to uh, launching your singing business. That's just like a little quick ebook. If you want to get started sooner than my launch program is ready, <laughs> but um other That's, than that, I do offer like, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching um, when it's available. That's all on singersuccessbath.com too. You can check that out. Mm -hmm. That is great. That's that's really excellent. And it's it's awesome that you have such a unique pathway to success for yourself and for your clients in the music business. I want to ask you what I ask everybody, which is if you had a magic wand and you could solve a problem in the music business or in your music business, um, what would it be? How would you use that power? Uh, and, and what would it, what would it take shape like for you? If I had to pick one, <laughs> there's a lot of problems I'd love to solve. Um, I think that one thing I would really love to see, and I there are some some streams out there that are solving this problem, but I would love musicians to get paid upfront. I wish people would get paid when they send in the work. Like I, I hate that a lot of the industry has to do with 
you you make the song, it airs on the television show, and then you're waiting up to a year to get paid for it. Like, yeah. I just hate that part. I would love us to get paid more upfront. I feel that so hard. <laughs> <laughs> so as a sound guy, I work with I work with a wide variety of clients uh, from from all different genres of music in all different sorts of settings. And the gigs where you walk out with cash in hand or a check in hand are always better than the ones where you have to wait for the invoice to clear. And then someone in accounting has to cut you a check and right. the, the delay. <laughs> and certainly when I wrote and was pitching my music and I've got some more coming out in 2024, but the biggest surprise was having a signed agency agreement on some songs knowing I was having my songs pitched, knowing that there was representation, actively working my stuff, and then not seeing any money for it for like a year and a half. <laughs> and and it's it was a surprise when the money came in. And it's sort of like, you yeah. just can't count on it. It's mailbox money, which yeah. um, for those of you that don't know that term, mailbox money is when it shows up randomly in your mailbox and you're like, what's this? Oh, cool, money. Yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> finding five bucks in your jeans. Right. <laughs> But that's, you know, so if I had a magic wand, I would definitely get us all paid up front. But since I don't, and since that's uh, an issue that a lot of people are working on slowly, gradually, um, they, that's why I really am, uh, am an advocate for diversifying our music income. And that's why I have so many income streams is because I need to pay my bills today, <laughs> you know, so that's why I have demo singing and that's why I have acapella licensing. When people buy my acapella, I do get paid right away. You know, it's only like 30 bucks at a time, but it 30 helps. bucks at a time, like a few times a week. That's a, that's a nice check, you know, but sync licensing is an example of that. Um, probably placing your songs on big artists is also an example of that. You probably won't get paid for a while, but when you do, it tends to be worth it. So, you know, it's nice. Yeah. Got just got a nice 5k check in the mail the other day. I'm like, oh, that's really nice. <laughs> awesome. Amazing. You know, for, for, a, for a placement that aired in September of last year. Wow. Like, but okay. It showed up eventually. <laughs> yeah. That's you know? amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to a truly outstanding star of the music business in her own right, Kimara Morell, with Singer's Success Path and a, a really insightful commentary about diversification and stick to itiveness. I think you've gone through a lot to get where you are and a non traditional, very unique path. You're not the live uh, artist that everybody would assume just from looking at you. You are a coach, you're a producer, you're a singer, you're, you're a business coach as well. Uh, and that's all of which comes into play when, when making a living from your creativity. I want to thank you so much for being here and for being a part of the Music Business Mentorship. And I know that with your permission, we will have you back to talk about some more stuff as, as your programs develop and as 2024 20, rolls around. So thanks yeah. for being here. And, thank you. Uh, May yeah. I add one thing? Absolutely. I appreciate you having me here. And uh, I just want to share too that I had the opportunity to grill 
John Scheel and ask him a bunch of really helpful uh, questions for for us artists. So that you can you can hear his interview with me on uh, the Singer's Success Path podcast. I can't wait. That's going to be so much fun. Yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of the Music Business Mentorship. Tune in soon for more and tune in to Kamara for all the things that she's about. Thanks again, Kamara. We really appreciate you. Thank you, John.